my name is Thiago Cesar. I'm uh, head of business development here at Kensativa. Looking forward to our podcast. Uh, I'm responsible for um, sourcing medical cannabis from all around the world and also finding a solution how to, to actually distribute it. This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hey folks, Garrett here. In this episode, we introduce Tiago Cesar, Head of Business Development of Consativa one of Germany's first and largest importers and distributors of medical cannabis. We're talking about this unique and growing industry, building a startup in an emergent sector, the bureaucratic obstacles of venturing into the world of controlled substances, and much more. So for you listeners out there who are interested in the upcoming German green rush, or are just an advocate for this type of holistic patient care, this episode is for you. Hope you enjoy it. Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful Fallendar, Germany, this is the best and most awesome founder podcast, a show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. Well, Tiago Cesar from Consativa. Thank you so much for having me in your lovely new offices here in, in Frankfurt today. Yeah, looking forward. Uh, I really remember our event at uh, WHU, sorry, <laughs> and um, um, very um, interesting conversation because you also had some uh, experience in the cannabis industry and uh, that's why we, we are sitting here today. Yeah, it's, uh, it's such a serendipitous of, uh, kind of series of events being at VHU and having the Idea Lab conference come and a, uh, a moderator canceled a, the week prior and they <laughs> needed someone to moderate and I seem to be at the top of that list all the time. And, They didn't even know that I had some experience working with different cannabis businesses in Colorado, where I'm from, when it uh, when legalization first happened. And uh, I did get to see a little bit of that industry firsthand. Um, so it's very, very interesting to me to see um, maybe the new Wild West that's happening here in Germany, albeit maybe not as wild. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we already had a little tour to our safe room and, and um, Garrett had an impression that it's uh, highly regulated in Germany. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll, that will definitely be a question that I have to ask. I think it'll be interesting to share, but um, really fascinating to kind of see what's happening here and what a cool and interesting facility you guys have. So, um, But before we get into that, I like to start episodes kind of with the same approach with everyone that we kind of have on the podcast, which is um, you know, everybody kind of comes from a different place and ends up on this wild, crazy entrepreneurial journey, um, whether it's as a startup or an investor or something in between, um, particularly because um, you're a German that has now entered the fledgling cannabis industry. Um, I would love to hear kind of where you come from and how you got to where you are today. 
Yeah, sure. I think that's an interesting question because I'm known to be more like kind of a conservative guy. So many people in my family were surprised that I ended up in the cannabis industry. And it also um, came surprisingly to me because I always wanted to uh, become like car manager in the car industry. You know, automotive industry in Germany is quite strong. And I'm really fascinated about it because I grew up close to, to the WHU and the Nürburgring. And I really uh, like that. So I uh, had also experience um, many different um, companies in the um, car industry, so from automotive suppliers to Porsche, Audi, uh, Volkswagen. And during that uh, internships, I, I really always try to go to that department where you really see some action. Um, so during the last year, that was um, not that difficult in the German car industry. So there were many um, big um, problems created through the diesel gate um, so I was for example at Audi in a um, task force about homologation so how to get a car registered to sell it and it was really really important because basically there was a risk that you produce cars that you can't sell anywhere so uh, like millions of losses were um, at risk and and therefore, uh, they stuffed it up, this uh, task force, from four to 30 people in three months. And that were the three months that I spent there. So I had already one time this um, feeling of, okay, now something big starts. And it's all about like processes in the end and, and fulfilling requirements. And then uh, at Volkswagen, I've met Benedict, who is the founder of Kensativa. And... Um, he was a very uh, tough guy there, so I, I thought like, okay, if this guy um, turns away from, from Volkswagen Consulting to, to uh, start his own enterprise, probably is kind of interesting, and, and, and he also liked a lot the, the action, so um, I thought like, okay, perhaps, and he asked me whether I want to be his like, first employee. So uh, I started last year, and now we're 17 people, and yeah. Uh, now I ended up some, somehow in the medical cannabis industry. <laughs> How did that, convert, that first conversation go with your family? The reason I ask is, you know, coming from Colorado where you're more likely to run into someone that uses cannabis than drinks too much. You know, Germany's a very different culture than that. <laughs> How was that conversation with your family saying, hey, I'm leaving, leaving one of the classic German brands to go start <laughs> yeah. selling cannabis. Yeah, it was really a surprising moment for my parents as well, uh, especially since my father's a priest and he's really conservative <laughs> again, uh, like, and against all these kind of um, like, um, cannabis topics. Um, I had to explain them, what I also have to explain many other people uh, since that moment, that we are a pharmaceutical company. It's not about selling drugs, it's about um, generating... Um, or are providing uh, like healthcare products to people in need. So there are many um, patients in Germany that uh, urgently require uh, medical cannabis, and um, it became so uh, difficult um, because it was not allowed that one court uh, decided to um, basically allow the home growing of, of cannabis plants in, in order to somehow get the product to the patients in need. That by like accident actually they opened the market for medical cannabis imports mm -hmm. and and um yeah basically we were right there at the beginning so jacob and benedict are two brothers and her, their father is a, a doctor um so famous heart uh, surgeon and 
and they basically had this idea in 2017 already like weeks after it, it actually was published and 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 it became known so um everything was in place until um 2019 we uh, we we experienced already a, a significant boom What is cannabis being prescribed for? How big is the market in mm -hmm. general? Um, and yeah, how how are patients being served with this uh, with this pharmaceutical? Yeah, sure. So um, first of all, probably um, we should start with the kinds of pharmaceuticals that exist. So mostly um, finished pharmaceuticals are prescribed. So I always tell aspirin as an, an, an example. Um, that are products that have uh, eight year time to market and, and market authorization with a lot of like um, statistical background tests and so on. Um, cannabis is a compounding product. So that means um, the final product will be uh, produced in the pharmacy. They basically receive flower material, for example, or tinctures or other um, um, cannabis based products and they process it in the, uh, um, in the pharmacy. So that underlies different regulation. And um, why do doctors prescribe this product? It, like mainly because of pain. So people that have, for example, a chemotherapy um, get it as a co-medication. So they don't become ill or probably get hungry. That's also one of the diseases. Or there are different other... Um, indications like um, epilepsy for children that's basically a breakthrough that um, like the CBD products help significantly and and you can also test it um, for, for children with epilepsy mm -hmm. gotcha. Gotcha. so in the total market that was one question difficult to estimate but there are um, at least numbers from um, the, the authorities regarding the imports or um, the uh, like state-owned health insurance companies and they uh, they estimate it to be like a small three-digit million market right now in germany so still quite small still quite to. small yes mm -hmm. but uh, there are different expectations how it will grow over the next uh, years um, but what we, we saw like a doubling of the market almost in the last year so I think what differs from country to country when you mm. think about the, the cannabis industry or if you think of the U.S. even state to state is, is the supply chain, mm. how the product goes from being a little seed planted in, in soil or whatever it might be to the end consumer. Um, I know you, go, you guys occupy a particular part of that supply chain, but could mm. you maybe start by explaining what that supply chain looks like and where it 
mm -hmm. changes hands and how it goes from being grown into the patient's hands? Yeah, sure. So right now we don't have domestic production in Germany for medical cannabis, so everything is imported. Um, it started with imports from the Netherlands or from Canada. And there you have in the beginning of the supply chain the a producer who actually cultivates a plant and he has to, to make sure that uh, it's uh, traceable, that you know which plant ended up in which uh, container and so on. Um, after the harvest, uh, you dry the flowers. Then somehow um, you have a primary packaging or uh, another processing steps, for example, extraction. And um, after um, the product is um, packaged, then um, there, there has to be some like regulatory step of, of, of releasing this batch and, and you have to have one entity in, along the supply chain that is uh, liable for it and in many cases this is the importer um, and from that moment on you have wholesalers that um, sell the products to pharmacies um, and all of that uh, process have to be like GDP certified as, as you've seen it below so um, along the Comply, uh, complete supply chain, you, you need someone uh, who can trace each product uh, back and, and so you make sure that nothing uh, gets lost. You know, now that we understand kind of the supply chain a little bit more, you know, Sativa being a two-year-old startup and, you know, you and your colleagues kind of deciding that you're going to enter this industry, how did you decide to kind of enter at that specific point? Why choose the kind of import and distribution side was that the only kind of space that was available or is was that a strategic kind of approach yeah um, good question basically at that time um, many fields were uh, attractive and then we, we, we had to choose because uh, I think um, you have to concentrate on one thing uh, because you can't do everything at all better than the uh, competitors. So we decided to be more upstream uh, positioned in, in the supply chain. So um, that probably comes because we all have, or at least a few of us, um, background in the car industry and, and know how an OEM works. Mm -hmm. And, and um, also we, we believed, and, and I think we were right, that the production of, of cannabis, like uh, the cultivation, uh, will become some sort of, um, yeah, let's say, oversupply situation where you 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 um, basically will have a very competitive pricing, and um, on the other hand, uh, the margin will be more with the person that imports and also releases the products. Uh, so the the OEM in the supply chain, and that's. Um, what we try to uh, establish by by being the um, importer and the producer of the products in the end. Gotcha. So that's interesting to me because in the end, you are on the front lines of getting the product to the pharmacists, right? And so I'm interested in that because at least my perception as an Auslander here <laughs> is that... Uh, Germany's just a bit more conservative when it comes to a topic such as cannabis. I think historically, certainly legally, it's it's more conservative. What is it like working with pharmacists that, you know, maybe have a mentality of, you know, 
here is a, a more traditional type painkiller or more traditional medicine than using cannabis flower as an alternative. Do you find some unique obstacles and challenges working with that? Those type of people is your market? Um, you're completely right. I think uh, sometimes it's uh, like switching the, the for, like complete situation when I have a call with a supplier on the like from uh, Canada or Australia or wherever, and then jumping into a call with with German uh, like recipients, and um, then I realize like okay, there are different mentalities about that topic for sure, and and we for us it's a, a bit of a um, yeah comp like a um, challenge to to handle uh, for example orders via fax so many of our customers uh, and, and like a large fraction still uses fax as their ordering technique for for narcotics mm -hmm. so they have everything proven everything written down mm -hmm. so uh, when i started here and i had uh, to implement sap i thought like okay let's uh, try to to start with a digital process and then you you, you get this uh, fax and um yeah, yeah, it's a PDF, and you have to uh, sometimes call them to understand what they've written down because you can't read it, and so on. That are like obstacles that mm -hmm. come from like uh, the German way of of of, of like dealing with uh, <laughs> digitization. <laughs> Do you find some cultural hurdles with pharmacists not wanting to sell that product in their pharmacies versus other alternatives? Um, sure, we already had that issue, but actually a, a pharmacist is obliged to actually supply the product once it's prescribed. Um, but for many uh, pharmacists, and that's uh, the case, um, it's some, some sort of like special investment. You need, for example, a safe for narcotics. And um, if, if you have a, a customer who, who, has la like, who has a prescription of, let's say, 100 gram a month, um, that already um, implies some investment from, from the pharmacy, and then they have a reason, and, and they say, well, why don't you go to the other pharmacy on the other side of the street? They, they are uh, better prepared for that mm -hmm. kind of, of uh, receipt. I'm interested, you mentioned a little bit of this offline, but how how it works. So a pharmacist gets a prescription from a, a customer, they contact you. Can you kind of talk about how the product goes from here to that yeah. customer? Yeah, sure. So especially in the beginning of the market, uh, we had a lot of uh, lack of supply. So some sometimes like weeks uh, there were, was no supply in the whole market so um they they um had a, a receipt and they wanted to um like purchase this, this product and then they had to call every company that somehow appears in the lower fisher tax like in the software where you see which wholesaler uh, supplies which kind of product and then they they basically um start the process by by calling us and then um, we need some documents of them. We, we need a legi like a legitimate uh, document that they are allowed to handle the product. So we cannot send out to everybody uh, a cannabis, um, and, that, and that's like our responsibility to check that. 
which also creates some like op like operational um, challenges. If if you, for example, receive an order uh, ten minutes before you want to to close your your your, your um, operations, um, that's sometimes not, not not doable in the time. Then they have to wait another day and stuff. Um, and then they have a lot of questions regarding the product, like how to process it, how to test it, um, and they, what what you can say is that German pharmacists are really uh, taking care and and and, and uh, feeling the responsibility to to check it uh, um, in detail, and that's what what ensures a good product quality in the end. So we like it, and and and, and it's our duty to help. So the pharmacist gets a prescription, they you know are legitimized by you guys you receive the order you get it to them within a day it sounds yeah. like and then they have a process they have to check the product again in the exactly they basically have to test whether the product is uh, the the product that is prescribed because i mean it's a flower you don't see it um, and sometimes they even run like uh, chromatography and 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 make expensive tests in order to test it yeah, and you're right, we, we can uh, deliver the next day. That's also one of the reasons why we chose uh, Frankfurt, because um, from here we, we can like um, deliver everything, uh, all orders that we receive until a late evening. And that's a, a big advantage because um, many others that are sitting, like located in other parts of Germany, um, rely on the same logistic providers, for example, that um, carry the products. And, um, they are based next to us, basically. So mm -hmm. we, we simply have later ordering times than, than many of our competitors. And, and also uh, many of our suppliers that fly in from all over the world um, appreciate that we are very close to the Frankfurt airport. Mm. Gotcha. So you guys really made the strategic decision to be here in order mm. to, to smooth your, smoothen your operations. Yeah. So, and Jacob was living here. That's probably gotcha, another that reason. <laughs> but it, it, it was helpful, yeah. Well, this is sounds to me like one of the German startups that would not be well suited to be in Berlin as opposed <laughs> to the technology companies. Yeah. Um, you're on the procurement. You do a lot of work on the procurement side of things. And this is interesting to me because obviously there's a lot of high-quality cannabis grown in different parts of the world. There's different countries that are quite recognizable for this stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about like how you decide where to source your product? I know you said you had mentioned Canada and the, and the Netherlands. I know obviously the U.S. has a lot of product as well. I imagine there's other countries as well. What makes you choose particular suppliers? What do you look for and how does yeah. that process unfold? So that was a quite complex process because there are like hundreds of, of um, suppliers coming online. Mm -hmm. And um, in the end, surprisingly, there are very, very few that are like applicable, that, that, that fulfill the requirements. And um, first of all, we had to screen everybody uh, with a like, very realistic time to market for their certification processes. So basically, um, that you need to be EU GMP certified as a supplier and this this kind of uh, certification you just get if you are uh, in Europe and and certified by a European authority or if you are outside the European authority uh, like European Union then you you uh, need an European authority to fly over to your facility to check it with German laws for example 
or you have some uh, mutual recognition uh, agreement in place between countries. And that's what uh, is the case between Canada and, and, and Germany. There's a mutual recognition in place, um, which facilitates the process. But for example, if you go to Israel, Israel is a leading nation for, for, for the research of, of uh, medical cannabis. And I think THC was even uh, like uh, first uh, um, detected there at the university. and. Um, and for example, in this scenario, it's kind of difficult to, to get the product in, into the country because of different authorities that don't uh, really get to a solution. Mm. So is it the countries that have higher regulatory barriers are going to be easier to work with for Germany? Is that maybe why the US is not really involved yeah. because it's less regulated? Yeah, uh, exactly. So. Um, Probably the hurdle is higher for someone who has no 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 uh, GMP uh, relevant experience um, and but you know the FCA uh, accreditations in, in in the in the US are probably comparable but uh, they don't apply for many cannabis suppliers so um, the US are an interesting market uh, and a big recreational market uh, but um, there are only few players that that basically have like real pharma uh, standards and I would even say sometimes it's easier if you uh, start in a country without a lot of uh, regulation but uh, start from the scratch and you know okay I want to build an EOGMP compliant or, or certified facility um, now I start here but um, I've mentioned that before um, we, we see a lot of oversupply coming uh, online this year or next year and that will definitely lead to some yeah, turbulence in our um, industry, and um, also we see a lot of compet uh, like competitors coming online in, in the wholesale segment. So um, when when I started like one year ago, there were like uh, less than ten. Now there are um, above twenty mm -hmm. uh, cannabis wholesalers. Gotcha. Um, hmm. Let's see. Is that where you when you say that you've you you're forecasting an oversupply in the future is that coming from more suppliers entering the market or homegrown product or exactly it, it comes from suppliers that are active since years but they will have their certification gotcha. this year and then um, they are able to export uh, to to Germany and before that they they, they they had a lot of product but it was not um, yeah didn't fulfill the requirements and was not on the market and and countries like Denmark Portugal they have large cannabis programs and um, also like huge facilities uh, if you think about like that little um, estimate like 10 tons of market size right now for example uh, I know several pl uh, players that have uh, 30 40 tons capacity wow. each gotcha and who's going to benefit from that you know when when you have an oversupply in in most cases you're going to have a, a price reduction is that going to be an, an a, a reduction in cost for the end consumer for the pharmacist for everybody does yeah that's a difficult question um it depends a lot on on, on the regulation side um because uh, the pharmacist margin is uh like uh, settled by, by by law um and is quite high at the moment uh, almost like 100 percent margin for the pharmacist mm -hmm. or not margin but markup at markup, least yeah and um, we think um, the pharmacy price or the price that we charge as a wholesaler to the pharmacist will drop because uh, we can import cheaper 
And in the end, this will also cause uh, lower prices for the, the patients. But I mean, um, in the end, the health insurance is uh, the, the winner because the patients often get a um, like refund by the, by the health insurance. And, and this uh, doesn't really bother them at the moment that it's quite expensive. it's still if i understand correctly you know the end consumer here is paying 15 to 25 euros per gram so that's still a pretty expensive medicine here as compared to, to other things that are out there right so the sure and and that's why we see also a trend towards tinctures ah. because um from from the uh, like biological uh, point of view um in a in a flower you have a certain amount of THC, for example, mm -hmm. the active component, and your body absorbs less right. inhalating than if you have, for example, oral uh, use. Right. And, and you could see that in different markets that uh, the trend is going away from flowers uh, towards tinctures, for example. Um, and it, I mean, it's, it's logical. I think smoking for an ill old person is not the best mm, right. <laughs> and and it was just a solution in the short term and there will be uh, coming um, online a lot of products that um, that are better suited for for, for the ill patients right. well that is a great segue into the kind of last big question I want to ask you which is you know what is the future what do you see as kind of the short mid-term future of the cannabis industry in Germany there's a lot of action just starting to pick up here where do you see it? How do you see it changing in the next few years? That's a good question. If I knew that right now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, to be honest, I think um, just talking about the medical market, um, we will see a lot of uh, competition. We will see uh, some sort of um, dropping out of players. Mm -hmm. We will see um, like uh, more and more doctors and, and pharmacists getting educated about this product because at the moment there's a lack of knowledge obviously so so um, it's not part of the uh, or like original ordinary medical school uh, content so so many doctors are not that well aware um, I see more pharmacists being really uh, expert on that uh, to be honest because they they um, have a lot of compounding and during their um, um, like pharmacy studies. Mm -hmm. um, so, so hopefully um, prescriptions go up with a bigger knowledge about that. Mm -hmm. And then we will probably see some um, change in, in, the, in the point of view of, of our German society that it's probably getting more uh, accepted. Um, right, right now, many people uh, don't know that uh, cannabis has also medical use mm -hmm. and they just think about drugs and right. uh, the problems linked with that. 
Um, so that's my opinion on the medical market. Then you see the recreational market, um, a lot of CBD stores opening. I told you that in the car. Mm -hmm. um, if you import, uh, for example, um, CBD flowers with less than 0.2% THC, most people think, okay, it's not a narcotic. Mm -hmm. But if you import it for um, medical use, uh, the situation changes and you're basically importing uh, narcotics. So, uh, and that's like, if you do that, you, you go to prison. So uh, people should be aware of that. Uh, and I think there are um, many, many uh, companies starting, many stores opening uh, for CBD uh, products. And um, there's a need for more regulation on that because basically, um, many players don't know what, what, what are the rules that apply right now in, on that setting and uh, also the customers don't know and um, I think um, yeah there's need for regulation yeah it's uh, I'm a big believer that to make these kind of changes and I lived in Canada for 10 years prior to legalization I was living in Colorado when that whole side of things happened but I'm a big believer that to make this change is actually much more of a bottom up than top-down approach because in the end it's the you know and if you think about how it became more acceptable for medicinal use in the in the United States and elsewhere it was the the rise in in cancer mm -hmm. it was the HIV crisis of the 80s and 90s patients using cannabis to to be able to get their appetites and be able to eat with autoimmune diseases and it was the people that started pushing the doctors and started pushing it upwards a little bit. And to me, at least what I see in Germany, like obviously there's cannabis use everywhere in the world for recreational purposes, but it's educating the individuals, educating the patients that there is an alternative out there as opposed to the, the mm -hmm. chemicals that they've all often been taking. Do you, would you Agree with I, that I totally yeah. agree, and I think that's what's happening right now. Yeah. So um, you see a few doctors that really uh, believe in it. They they tell stories from their own patients, and they um, there are a lot of conferences on that topic. So last year I, I, I visited like a dozen of, of 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 events, and and there are like international cannabinoid conferences mm -hmm. with 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 professors uh, sharing their opinions and and obviously what is needed is a lot of, of research and that's also um, starting so there are many companies around the world investing in that and once you have evidence i think um, it's way easier to change the regulation and also the perception right and you know in the end medical patients shouldn't have to go to the black market to get the medicine that they need, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Tiago, I want to ask you a couple last questions yeah. because I ask everyone that comes on the podcast just to get a little bit of insight okay. into you yeah. and, um, maybe particularly interesting considering the topic that you're in, but, um, is there a particular book you'd like to recommend? Is there anything that you have oh, read or person. are reading? Well, actually, what helped me a lot in the last month was uh, How to Be a Stoic. Uh, I don't oh, know whether yeah. you know that book by Pigliucci. Mm -hmm. And so it's like um, philosophy, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I think you can apply it in your day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. And and always, I mean, you go into a company and you know there's a risk. And um, then also know, okay, I, I just will be successful if I uh, give 100%. Mm -hmm. But once you're in there, you, you start thinking, okay, look, there's a risk and you're somehow intimidated instead of saying, okay, 
I did it. I have mm -hmm. to move on. And and I think this book helps me always because then you 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 start thinking, okay, if I don't know, from one day to the next, the cannabis regulation will change dramatically and, and Kensatiba will be off the market immediately. Life won't be over. Uh, I'm, I'm 25 years young, so uh, there will be an, uh, enough other opportunities and um, to be grateful to, to, to experience things like that. So I think that's uh, a good book. Awesome. I read uh, like Marcus Aurelius and, and Seneca both in the past year, and I wish I had read those when I was 25. It would have saved me a lot of stress, I think. <laughs> cool. One more question. Yeah. Um, is there any music on your playlist that's cycling right now? Well, uh, the music on my playlist is quite old, to be honest. So, um, Dire Straits, Brothers in Arms, <laughs> my favorite album. I think that's older than you are, <laughs> mate. <laughs> it's probably double my age, yeah. But I, I think that's super relaxing. And uh, I, also, the old school hip-hop that I'm listening to is almost the same age as I am. Nice. So, I'm not into too much of the modern music, um, but but that's what I like. Yeah. Right on. Old soul. Good on it. <laughs> Tiago Cesar. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me in you guys' offices. Yeah, it was a, was a pleasure. Such a fascinating visit. And uh, I have my fingers crossed both for Kansativa and the state of this very important yeah. industry in Germany. And if someone listens here and is interested in uh, applying, please mm -hmm. apply. Uh, we are looking always for motivated people. Do you have a, a, a website or a plug? Yeah, we, yep. we have a web website, uh, kansativa.com or mm -hmm. DE. And, and there you, you see a lot, a lot of like vacancies. Awesome. Tiago, I look forward to seeing yeah. this journey in the future. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Thank you. Well, folks, that was Tiago Cesar, head of business development of German medical cannabis startup Consativa. If you're interested in learning more, check out Consativa's website at C-A-N-S-A-T-I-V-A.de. Coming soon in episode 11, we'll speak with Tobias Tschutsch, founder and managing director of Contorion, Germany's e-commerce giant for industrial and trade supplies. His story of going from VHU student to Rocket Internet to incredibly successful founder of a company acquired for more than 100 million euros is truly what dreams are made of. Bis nächstes Mal!